Hello, everyone. Welcome back. This is the Philosopher's Stone podcast with your hosts, Jordan Strauss and Sam LaBone. What up, brother? Man, how come you get the machine gun sound effect and I get the whatever the fuck that was? Uh, just because yours was just a heavy caliber gun, oh, so okay. fire the fire rate was a little bit okay, lower. Gotcha. So yeah, I was hitting them with the AK forty seven. I don't know what rounds they take, but you had the fifty cal on the back of the Humvee. Hey, all right, I like that. <laughs> yeah, so I actually did you a favor there. Oh, thank you. Yeah, thank you very much. A lot of people get to shoot that high caliber of a round. Well. And we also got a third host with the. I got a little freaking kitten in the room with me. Hello. Say hello, Eleanor. Where is she? Oh, God. She's stealing shit out of my wallet, probably. She chewed right through the mouse cord for Chelsea's laptop. Oh <laughs> like, right through. Wow. So I'm really hoping she does not get the taste for chewing through cables. Hey, say hello. Not the first time a cat ate a mouse, eh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Yeah, she just ate the cord, not the whole thing. You have two cats now. Yeah, we got one. Uh, we got this kitten to become, to, you know, keep the other one company, but she fucking doesn't have, wants nothing to do with it. Oh my him. God. <laughs> so it's like, she like, I don't know if it's because she's still like a tiny little kitten, but she hisses at him and like swipes at him. And he's just the older cat. He wants, he just wants to play, but he's like, He's visibly offended every time she like rejects him. It's actually kind of uh, funny. Like he gets so dejected uh, when she like won't give him the time of day. So we've been having to keep them separated most of the time just because I don't know what, what could happen if I'm not like supervising them. I don't think he'd hurt her, but he would probably piss her off. I've seen her. He already pounced on her on her twice as like a play thing and she fucking hated it. So for We'll see what happens. She is slowly warming up to him. You know, she doesn't hiss at him from across the room. She'll only hiss at him if he comes within like a foot now. So that's progress. That's good. That's progress. He's getting there. So by my calculations, they'll be fast friends in, in about a month. Yeah. I think also once her size kind of catches up to his size, she'll be a little bit less like wary of him. But other than that, she's a fucking beauty. Absolute beauty. Eleanor. Ellen, where'd you get that name? Like Roosevelt, the president's wife? Uh, it just sounds... Or no, I don't know. Sure, I why not? Um, I was thinking the car from Gone in 60 Seconds because uh, she's so fast. Nice. Nicholas Cage, great movie. Just kidding. We picked it before we even, like... We already picked that name before we even saw her top speed, so I, I think it's just it's just a nice name. It's it's actually kind of funny because there's a mutual uh, mutual friends of ours. Um, they are having a child soon. Oh my god! And what our first our male cat's name is Thomas, and this cat's name is Eleanor, and it happened to be two of their top name picks for their unborn <laughs> child <laughs> that we stole for our cat without yeah. knowing it. <laughs> so um, yeah, that's hilarious. Jack, they're two of their top spots. Yeah. Anyways, uh, it's been a week here in town. Kelowna has been, um, there was a, I don't know if you heard it or I told you about it a little bit, but there was a tragic construction accident downtown, which is like something I would not, I mean, who can predict this type of thing, but a construction crane collapsed at a high rise that was going up there. 
and it fell and it almost crushed my girlfriend. So it's been uh, been crazy, honestly. She like her office almost got cru- like was dozens of feet away from landing on her office, which is pretty wild. Yeah, I saw the pictures. That that was gnarly. Like that was a very big crane, just completely collapsed and almost took out a whole building. Yeah, terrible. Yeah, I mean, it did collapse. The building it hit, it killed someone in there. Someone in an office building just working away. Probably didn't even. I don't know if they were alive long enough to realize what happened. But that office was struck, and Chelsea's office was right next to that office. So it's really uh, like thanking her lucky stars. Obviously, that's it's still traumatic to be that close. And then my older brother was the project manager on that. A project manager is a huge huge project on that job site. So he like he would interact with some of the people that passed away on like a daily basis. So both of them were kind of like it really kind of fucked with them. And now neither of them can go back to work for God knows how long because Chelsea's office building is like they're going to have that whole area of town cordoned off for a while to do like investigations and I don't know how long it's going to take them to get the both the collapse crane out of there and then this the crane that's still standing is like all bent and shit so i don't know how that happened but that one has to be taken down safely as well so that's just i mean both of them are pretty much not out of a job but like they can't work right now so it was a good timing in that case to get a new kitten to lift the spirits a little bit here yeah, exactly. You need a, a therapy cat. Yeah. She's good for that. She she really, really <laughs> loves us. Hates the other cat. Just can't stand Thomas. <laughs> yeah. And the whole point of getting her was to keep him company. So, well, we'll see. I, I'm confident. I'm confident she's, she's already made progress. She's warming up a bit and she's chewing on some fucking cables <laughs> as I speak right now. Uh, that's nice. Get out of there. So that's what's been going on in my city. How's the move? Uh, it's been pretty good, pretty seamless. Like, didn't really have to pack anything this time. Just sort of load it into the truck and drive it. So, pretty easy. So, is this the second time you've moved back to Toronto? Then, yeah. Okay. So, I yeah. So, yeah, I lived in Toronto for a summer, um, and then now I'm now I'm moving here permanently. Okay. And then on Friday we do the the final move in to the condo. Nice. So, are you moving in with Hannah this time? Yes. Nice. That's exciting, man. Yeah. It's exciting. We're unfurnished apartment, so we're going to be like eating Chinese food on the floor for like a week or something probably. But <laughs> Hey, man, those are some of the best memories. Those are the ones you look back on and say, remember when we first moved in and all we had was a couple camping chairs and some Indian food? <laughs> yeah, exactly. The mad- magical times. Yeah. Yeah, it is. That is. And then uh, went to the... I don't know people. I don't know if people do this in BC really, but in Ontario, people have like these cottages that they go to, like on these lakes, like because there's like fucking thousands of lakes in Ontario. It's ridiculous. Yeah, I know. I drove through there. Wasn't last summer? The summer before, maybe. Try to remember. I did like a cross Canada comedy tour where I went all across Ontario, and I was amazed at how many fucking lakes there were. There's a place called Thousand Lakes, and there are a thousand lakes. (laughs) Yeah. There literally was over a thousand lakes, but there was just cottages and cabins 
all over the place and all these little islands. It's actually quite beautiful. But I was there during like Mayfly season. <laughs> I don't know how long it lasts, but I showed up to this place in Ontario called Kenora. Oh, I've, I've been there. And every single surface in the town was covered in these mayfly looking things. I don't know if they were actually made, but they, they were like these, I think they were mayflies and they were, it was, it almost looked like it was snow on the ground. Yeah. They were everywhere. I'm talking, you could not put your hand down without touching like seven yeah. of them. It was disgusting. And uh, I guess that only happens for like a couple weeks out of the year, but people were taking brooms in the streets and sweeping up the dead bodies of these things on the sidewalks. And there were just piles of this dead insect everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. That was a good time. And we spent we spent like a whole day passing out flyers trying to promote this comedy show because we got to the venue and they had not promoted it at all. So like no one even knew there was a comedy show that night. You did a comedy show in Kenora? Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> This whole thing was a like so like we were driving across Canada and trying to book shows ahead of us in towns as we went, which is not the best way to promote shows and get people to show up. So we got to Kenora and there was uh, the venue was supposed to have been promoting the show for like the last week or whatever, and they didn't. So we quickly went and printed out like a shit ton of flyers and just ran around town handing out flyers like <laughs> amongst the piles of dead bugs everywhere. Oh my God. Handed out flyers for like four hours. Fucking no one showed up. The whole show got canceled. Oh, it was brutal. Man. Amateur comedy. Have you done any shows? No, I, I haven't. I haven't done any yet because Ottawa, like I didn't get my vaccine shot until a couple of weeks ago. Oh, right. I got my second one at the end of the week. But you're, you're going to go back and do some. You're gonna. You think you're gonna go back and keep doing it? Yeah, as soon as I can figure out, like where to do it in Toronto, like when it's starting back up again. Like I don't know if it's actually starting back up again in Toronto or not. So I have to figure that out. I haven't seen anything from the guys that we know in Toronto about it about comedy starting up again. Maybe like an open mic here or there, but yeah, I think they're still pretty strict there. Yeah, as far as like what they're allowed to do. But I will say, I had doubts about whether I'd want to keep doing it until I started again. And then it was like, oh, yeah, this is, I'm back into it. Back in it. Oh, yeah. Although I do, I will say, you only feel as good as your last set when it comes <laughs> to comedy. That's true. Because I had like four really amazing sets out the gate when we came back, four or five. And like my new material was hitting hard. I was feeling like fucking like I was the hottest comic in town. And then I just went and did this. The show at a dispensary, which was a good show. It sold out, but it was a bunch of stone people. There was no liquor allowed or anything. Mm. And it was outdoor right by the airport. And we had like helicopters because there's so many forest fires. All the helicopters were landing right behind <laughs> the show the whole time. So every like 10 minutes, you get interrupted by a helicopter. Not that that's an excuse. I should have done a lot better. But I like it was one of those shows where like I lost all faith in my abilities. I didn't like bomb, but they, they definitely were ready to laugh harder than they laughed at any of my shit. So I, I ended up feeling kind of like, you know, I was super deflated. You should have waved to the helicopter like, hey, get me out of here. <laughs> yeah. Let me hop on that bucket. You can dump me on that fire over there. <laughs> yeah, dump me on the fire. It's better than this. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't a bomb. Like, I didn't bomb, but I definitely did not like... I wasn't impressing anyone. I'll say that much. Okay. Yeah, I get it. 
Yeah. Been there. <laughs> so I like I it's so funny because I was literally feeling like hot shit until that set. And now I feel like I'm a fraud again. So after this podcast, I'm gonna do another show. Hopefully that goes well. I can feel like a real comedian again if it does. And that's how she goes, man. That's how she goes. Yeah. I I don't know what to tell you. I mean, you might be able to take some consolation from the fact that material objects don't actually exist independently of the mind, but I mean, I don't know if that would help. <laughs> wow, your segues are getting real smooth, man. I gotta say, I don't even <laughs> nope, see that them one coming. just comes came out of nowhere like a freight train. <laughs> All right, well, obviously we're getting into the subject for the day. <laughs> Take me in there. Take my hand and walk me through the grassy fields of non-materialism. Oh, okay. Yeah, you picked up on that. Nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, today we're going to talk about a very a particular philosopher from uh, like the 1700s. Is this a new guy or is this... F- it's better not be fucking no, 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 what's-his-face, that smug-asshole. No, 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 Hume. No, no, no. Um, we haven't talked about him before. His name is George Berkeley. George Berkeley. Damn. Okay, I hate to say this, but that sounds... I'm just going to guess he's black. <laughs> close, close. He's Irish. It's uh, <laughs> not close at all. Char- like Charles Barkley, is that where... <laughs> George Berkeley sounds like, I don't know, like a jazz drummer or something. Oh, this guy, uh, this guy was a, an Irishman. He was born in 1685 in Kilkenny, Ireland. Huge Conor McGregor fan. Big Conor McGregor fan. <laughs> Um, he graduated <laughs> from Trinity College in Dublin in 1704. Nice. Class of 1704. Yeah. He graduated from college when he was 19. Graduated. I mean, that's not unheard of, but it is impressive. It is impressive, yeah. Yeah. Three years later, he was made a fellow at Trinity College. What does that mean? I think it means like they like give you room and board and you like write treatises or something so you're like not a professor that you don't teach any classes but you just like hang around and become smarter yeah <laughs> i think you're like a ta but like they give you room and board or something like that like they should bring that system back oh were there was it co were universities like were women around allowed to be Oof. educated back then because i was gonna say this guy must have been swimming in that that co-ed puss <laughs> well um okay so i don't think they were allowed to do that, especially, it was, I think it was like a very Catholic thing. But anyway, this guy would not have been doing that. Um, he was very Christian. Oh, okay. Did have kids, though. Did have a family and had kids. He's, he's no Thomas Aquinas. <laughs> no. He didn't chase his girlfriend out of the room with a hot iron when she tried to seduce him. Yeah, no, no. He, he, he never did that. Um, so what did he do? Uh, so between, yeah, so became a fellow 1707. Between 1709 and 1713, he wrote his sort of his main philosophical works. Of course, they weren't recognized in his own time as his major works, but they sort of became, after he died, they became his like most famous work. What a shame when you don't get recognized till after you die. Yeah. Like he was a successful author and like he became, like he was a very successful person in his life. Just he was only really known by like other philosophers, really. So, uh, which is still kind of true, but right. Well, someone once told me that all you can ask in life is to be a legend amongst your peers. So, ah, yes, yes, I remember that. So, anyway, yeah. So, uh, 
He wrote his three major works, which were an, an essay towards a new theory of vision, a treatise concerning the principles of human knowledge, and three dialogues between Hylas and Philonus. Are those made up people? Yeah, he just made up some characters to talk to each other. So that was a thing that people did back then, or do they still do that? Like, here's part of my, uh, I don't know, one of my works is just a fake conversation between two hypothetical people. Um, I don't know. I, th- I think it's a lot less common today. I think it still happens. It's, it's not as common. It goes like all the way back to Socrates. Like all of Socrates' stuff is like these conversations between characters. Right. Did you ever did, did you ever read the screw tape letters? I did not, but um I've heard it. I've heard it's very, very good. It is very good. But that's a cool way to uh express some of your philosophical ideas. Yeah. Is to have two fa- uh uh what do you call them? What do you call them? People that you make up. <laughs> Inter- interlocutors. Interlocutors. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Um okay, so then um he was he became the dean of Derry Cathedral in 1724. So that that means he's like he runs the cathedral basically. I think mm-hmm. in 1728. Oh, this is so, so cool. He decided he would start his own college in Bermuda. Nice, right? This is gonna be dope. Tropical Island College, but uh, the funding dried up. Wow! <laughs> right in the middle of the fucking triangle. Yeah. <laughs> They unlocked the code to interdimensional travel. Professor, the aliens took my homework again. I don't know what's going on. (laughs) Oh, well, you know, when they do that, your job is to hunt them down. Bring me their skulls. He became the Bishop of Cloyne in 1734. This guy became a fucking bishop, Anglican bishop. Wow. Yeah. Guys just showing off. I guess. And what, what city was that? Cloyne. C-L-O-Y-N-E. Cloin? Okay. He had seven children, but only three survived childhood. That's just, those are the days, those days. Ugh. Yeah. Good times back then, hey? You gotta have... It's a, it's a numbers game. <laughs> you gotta have... You gotta just expect half of your offspring to die. Yeah. <laughs> Don't get too attached. And then he died in 1753 in Oxford, England. So how old did he? How long did he live? He would have been um, like sixty-eight or something, sixty-eight or sixty-seven, I think. Sixty-eight, maybe. I feel like that's a decent push for back then. Not bad for seventeen hundreds. Sixty-something years—that's pretty good, right? For back then, yeah, yeah. So, uh, so that's basically his life and times. And then uh, he's so yeah, so like sort of like the segue sort of revealed. He's sort of most famous for arguing against materialism. So he is basically, his whole career was attacking the philosophical position that objects exist independently of the mind. So in other words, if all the sentient conscious beings in the universe ceased to exist and there were no longer any minds around to perceive objects, would objects still exist? Mm, Interesting. Yeah, and so a materialist would say, yes, objects still exist, even if there are n- nobody around to perceive them. It's a hard position to defend, I imagine. That's some Matrix shit, right? There is no spoon. There is no spoon, exactly. Yeah, it is sort of like the Matrix. It's a very similar idea. Except in the Matrix, ordinary objects exist outside of the mind. I, I think in the Matrix. It's, it's just like a, there's a false reality. 
No. No, no, no. The whole thing about there is no spoon is that none of thing none of the things are real in the matrix, right? Oh, okay, I see what you mean. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so within the matrix itself. Oh, yeah, within the matrix, yeah. Yeah, okay. Got it. Yeah, so his um his whole argument was uh sort of against this idea that things still exist when you're not perceiving them. So Berkeley was what they call an idealist, which is someone who thinks that things only exist if they are perceived by minds. So to 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 be is to be perceived. Right. So he's kind of like the tree falling in the forest. No one's around to hear it. Does it make a sound? He's saying nah. He's saying no, no. If there was nobody around, there the tree didn't exist. Okay. Well, here's the thing. Uh, okay. So my initial, I think most people's initial reaction would be that's some that sounds like a bunch of bullshit, right? Of course, things still exist when no one's looking at them. Yeah. So like basically. He, uh, he starts his work with an attack on materialism, but then the rest of the work is mostly defending his argument against these sorts of objections because most people think that it's common sense that objects exist independently of their own minds. Berkeley's position is it's actually common sense to think the opposite. I'd, like, I'd fucking love to hear it. Berkeley hit me with some of these arguments. You, you want to hear it? You want to hear it? Okay, here we go. Here we go. I want to fucking hear it, man. Yeah, fucking tell me. Yeah, fucking tell me. Okay, here we go. I could read like a quote from him. It might not help though, but anyway, so here's a quote from Ber- in Berkeley's own writing. It is indeed an opinion strangely prevailing amongst men that houses, mountains, rivers, and in a word, all sensible objects have an existence, natural or real, distinct from their being perceived by the understanding. But with how great an assurance and acquiescence soever this principle may be entertained in the world, yet whoever shall find in his heart to call it in question may, if I mistake it not, perceive it to involve a manifest contradiction. For what are the forementioned objects but the things we perceive by sense? And what do we perceive besides our own ideas or sensations? And is it not plainly repugnant that any one of these or any combination of them should exist unperceived. Does that make any sense? Yeah, okay. Economy of words was not a big thing back then, eh? No, no. They, they, they got paid by the word. Paid by the word, baby. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> and by the syllable, I hope. Yeah. Because a lot of that shit was like, all right, yeah. we get it. You went to fucking college, bud. Now we, we can make it a lot simpler than that. <laughs> yeah. That was, I, uh, I, I understood the gist, but I, I like, fucking blacked out for when it started getting really annoying. So, uh, yeah. Do you want to like put that into, I don't know, what would Kanye, if Kanye had to say that exact same thing, what, how would he put it? Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, scooby whoop doop, ba doop doop. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, whoop de scoop doop, whoop, kitty whoop, whoop. So uh, Winkler, the philosopher Winkler, he, he put it down into three simple premises. Mm-hmm. Premise number one, we perceive ordinary objects like houses, mountains, etc. Premise number two, we perceive only ideas. Conclusion, ordinary objects are ideas. So th- think, of it, uh, think of it like this, right? When you are looking at things, right? Say you're looking at, like a tree or something like that, or a house or a mountain. Mm-hmm. That thing that you are perceiving, that's activity in your brain. There's activity in your brain, right? 
Yeah. We can call that activity in your brain an idea. Right. So that thing that you're sort of that your brain is sort of dealing with, the image that you're thinking about, perceiving. Okay. That's something that's in your head. Yeah. That's brain activity in your head. Light is hitting your eye. Mm-hmm. The light hits your eye, and then an electrical signal travels to your brain and you perceive a tree. Yeah. So that tree that you're perceiving is not what you are perceiving is not the tree that's out there in the world. It's something in your head. It's an idea. Yes, but but wouldn't you just say that there like so I might obviously what the way I'm seeing the tree and thinking of the tree might not be like the actual reality of the tree. But there has to be something in order for me to perceive it, right? And also, for multiple people to be agreeing that they're looking at a tree, there has to be something outside of our senses for us all to say seem the same thing, right? We may be perceiving it different from different angles. Maybe we have one person's colorblind. Maybe some person's fucking high on something and they're seeing it completely different. But there is always, there's got to be the thing that's set in reality for everyone that's observing it to be experiencing it in their head, right? Oh, yeah. Berkeley has answers for all of these things, and we'll we'll get to it. Mm -hmm. But just first, I want to try and sort of tease out his criticisms of materialism. Okay. So the criticism of materialism here is that he's saying that like what we perceive, what we really perceive and think about are ideas. And our ideas don't exist unless we're thinking about them, unless we're perceiving them. Yeah. Right? If you're not perceiving a tree in your head, then the idea of the tree doesn't exist if you're not perceiving it. I agree with that, yeah. Not in my mind, anyways. Yeah, exactly. So basically his position is is that these things only exist when you're perceiving them. So they can only exist. Their existence depends upon your mind. So... Is he arguing that it only exists? Like, because I'm I'm thinking of like physical matter. You don't have to be looking at something for it to be taking up physical space. Is he saying that, or is he saying it only like like there's going to be a ton of things in the forest? Like, I'm talking like, all right, here's a piece of forest, Mm -hmm. a couple square feet, maybe a forest that no human ever will lay eyes on, or no animal will ever encounter. Let's just pretend. Right? Does that mean? That the rock in the middle of that doesn't exist? Yeah. For Berkeley, ordinary objects, their existence depends upon their being perceived by a mind. And the only thing that minds perceive are ideas. So whenever we perceive an ordinary object, we are only perceiving an idea. We don't actually know. His main criticism about materialism is that you don't actually know anything about whatever this matter stuff is that the materialists are talking about. This supposedly mind-independent object. You don't actually know anything about it because all you perceive are your own ideas. Right. So you couldn't prove that anything exists beyond your own mind, right? Right. Because it could all be a hallucination. I mean, you could think that other people are agreeing with you, but they could be a hallucination. It's the whole mind-in-a-box type thing. Uh, It's... Similar to that, well, well, no, not not. Yeah, actually, well, he thinks that he thinks that the skepticism stuff, like the mind in a box thing, he thinks that only happens if you are a materialist. Okay. 
his main criticism, yeah. So right, so I'll it'll I'll tease it out a little bit, right? So so Berkeley saying his first argument is we perceive ordinary objects, we perceive only ideas, therefore ordinary objects must be ideas. Now the materialist counterargument to that is that we perceive ordinary objects, true. We perceive only ideas, true. But we immediately perceive only ideas, right? So our our brains, our understanding. The thing that it deals with are these ideas. Mm-hmm. But these ideas are caused by matter that's sort of out there outside of our own mind. Right. That, I think, is like the normal way of thinking, right? Right. Matter triggers the idea, which is how you perceive it. And whether or not the, your idea is accurate, uh, whatever that means in this context, is another story. Yeah. So. This is called the representationalist theory. So it's the idea that, or it's the theory that matter is out there. It's mind independent. It causes these ideas in us. And these ideas in us represent these external objects. Mm -hmm. So our ideas allow us to perceive external objects because they represent the external objects. Does that sort sort of make sense? Does that help? As like the representationalist theory? Okay, why don't you say that? Why don't we run that one back just a little bit here? Okay, so we'll try it again. Okay. So you can think of it, there's like two two words, right? There's immediate and immediate. Okay. So immediate, we immediately perceive our ideas. We are fully acquainted with our ideas. They're in our head. We can think about them, examine them, analyze them, etc. Mm-hmm. These ideas are representations of things in the external world, external material objects. Yes. Right? So, for example, you can think of it again. Yeah. There's an external material object in the world. Light bounces off of it. That light goes into your eye. And then an electronic impulse goes into your brain. And then in your brain, there's a representation of that external object. Correct? Right. So, the representation in the actual object might be different, but you still need that actual object for any sort of ideas to come into your head, right? Um, okay, well, I, w- I wouldn't say need because you can think of other theories where you don't actually need an external object to give you the idea. Yeah, yeah, I guess you're right there. You don't need it. Yeah, so the, the materialist is saying like, look, this is, how, this is how it works. This is how that we know that there's external objects in the world. It's because our ideas are representing them. That's how we know. Yeah, I mean, we don't know, but... It's a pretty good guess. Uh-huh. So, um, so Berkeley he has another attack on this idea, which is sort of his main attack. Hit me. Hit me. <laughs> this is that 50 cal from beginning, <laughs> right <laughs> through the chest. <laughs> Hit me, Berkeley. All right. Um, so he, Berkeley wants to know, how do these ideas actually represent material objects? And the representationalists, their answer is that the the representation in your mind resembles the real objects. It resembles it in terms of its, its color, its shape, its size, you know, these sorts of things. It, it sort of it, it resembles it in that way. Mm-hmm. Sort of like a painting, resem- a painting of a landscape resembles the actual landscape. Right, unless you're that Van Gogh motherfucker. Unless you're Van Gogh, yeah. Bergley thinks that this is, uh, this is silly. This is a silly thing to say. And his principle, it's called the likeness principle. So Berkeley is basically saying, look, if you want to say two things are similar, 
you can't say they're similar, like you can't say that they're like each other or unlike each other until you've compared them with each other, right? Right. And you can't compare your idea of something with the actual object, really. Right. The mind can only compare its own ideas. Right. So you actually can't say that they're like these objects that they're representing because you can't actually compare them to the real object because all you have are your ideas. True, but can't you compare them with the other ideas of people around you? Like, I'm looking at my cat, right? I'm pretty sure when Chelsea looks at this cat, she's seeing the same fucking things, right? Same colors, same shape, same movements. And when we compare notes, that's like a cross-reference, as a, we, which, which bolsters our assurance that this cat does, in fact, appear the way that we are perceiving it. Because our notes line up. You know what I'm saying? It's true, but it's also not always true. Because lots of the times, two people can look at the same thing and perceive different things. True, but that's usually not the case. That's why things like fucking stop signs work most of the time, and traffic lights, Mm -hmm. letters, language. But now is that, but now the thing is though, we have to ask ourselves, Berkeley would agree with you, yeah, like look, we all, we seem to have similar ideas going on here but that doesn't necessarily prove that these ideas that but this similarity isn't necessarily evidence that the ideas are being caused by or representing external material objects i mean how else could two separate minds dream up the exact same object without there actually being an object in existence you know what i mean well like think about the matrix right like um there's like the there's the code that is sort of um, creating the matrix. Yeah. But the code isn't an external material object. So, but both people have to be in the same matrix in order to see the same thing. Yeah. Well, Berkeley's answer, I guess we can just say it right now. Berkeley's answer is, you know, he, this is a very Christian guy, but um, <laughs> his answer is that God is feeding everybody ideas according to regular laws of nature. Wow. Yeah. And here I thought we were dealing with a smart guy. He had his own college. He graduated at 19. He's a bishop. Now he's telling me that God is the machines in the matrix. Uh, yeah. I mean, his, his attack on materialism is, <laughs> is pretty good. But uh, yeah, his solution kind of requires you to believe in God. So his, his solution isn't very good, but his attack on materialism is, is pretty interesting. I mean, yeah, it's hard to prove that you're looking at the same thing or, you're, or what you're seeing even exists. I can agree with that. Here's the a, here's a thing. If I think about this, I think about if you ever had a dream where you're certain it, that everything's taking, like most people when they're dreaming, they're pretty sure that it's not a dream while they're in the dream, right? Mm-hmm. And everyone around you is valid. And I mean, for me, whenever I have dreams, there's multiple people, usually a large crowd, and everybody's acknowledging what's happening in the dream. So my, I have no reason to doubt what I'm seeing is happening because there's a bunch of people in the dream that are acknowledging the same thing I'm seeing. But none of it's real because none of those people are real either. So there's no real way for me to prove that any of my friends are actually real either. So it's, it's just one of those things where it's like a little bit of faith, I don't, I don't think you have to go as far as God, but you have to kind of have faith that you're not completely, I don't know, just a, a, some sort of little amoebus blob floating through space somewhere that's experiencing all these things and actually 
none of the people you know or love exist and nothing you think exists actually exists. It's all just being fed to you by, I don't know, cosmic demons. Yeah. So, um, yeah, cosmic. Yeah. I mean, it's the solution is weird. It's very, it's very weird, right? Like it, it requires you to sort of change your beliefs that there's like an external material world. But it's, it's interesting to think about mm-hmm. because it forces you to like do some actual work. So like you were saying, like one of the best arguments for the belief in an external material world is that all of us seem to have the same ideas. Right. Right. Like, like maybe you have, maybe there's like a desk in your room or something like that. And when you go into your room, you perceive a desk. When other people you go into your room, they perceive the same desk. So how could all these people be perceiving uh, the same desk if it wasn't actually caused by something in the external world? Exactly. And the only way that that wouldn't happen or that you could kind of, in my mind, make sense of that is if the other people are also just ideas that don't exist in the external world. Right? Sorry, could you say that one more time? The only way to get around that is to say that the people that you think are acknowledging the same thing are actually not real. Right? What, wait, what's not real? Well, that's why I brought up the dream thing. The only time where other people are all acknowledging the same thing as me, as I'm seeing, like witnessing in the world, or perceiving something. Mm-hmm. And I believe is when, it, when I'm in a dream and there's a bunch of people that aren't existing actually agreeing with me. So the only way that you can... If there's 10 people looking at an object and they all describe it the exact same way, you have to kind of believe that that object exists externally unless all the people that are agreeing with you don't exist. Oh, okay. Yeah, I see what you mean. Yeah, like the idea that you can't have like a mass a mass hallucination is impossible. Like if it must it must be real if everyone perceives it. If everybody's seeing the same thing and you're sure everybody are everybody that's seeing it is real, then you have to come to the conclusion that that thing is outside the minds of everyone else unless it is a shared hallucination. Right. Yeah. So that that's so like that's um Berkeley's point is basically that if you're like this representationalist then you are always taking things on faith, like you said. Like you're always taking things on faith because you can't really know for sure what is causing your ideas. Right. You think it's these objects in the external world, but you don't know that for sure. In fact, it could be other things. It could be that everyone is in a matrix. It could be that everyone is a brain in a vat. Mm-hmm. It could be that you're the only person that exists and everybody else is, is not real. Yeah, that's like the dream scenario. Yeah, so Berkeley, right, very Christian person, he hates this idea of skepticism. You know, it's weird for a Christian to hate taking something on faith. Mm-hmm. But I think, uh, I think he didn't like this idea that if, that if you believe this, you don't really know. And it, I think as a Christian, he thought that God wouldn't set up the universe in such a way that you don't really even know if it's real or not. I think that's what he found most objectionable to. <laughs> you know what? He needs to read a lot more about God and his character because of course <laughs> he would do something like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so Berkeley is, and he's also responding to this other big problem of, of his day, which was the problem of Cartesian dualism. So if you remember, um, Descartes had this idea that mind and body are two completely different substances. And like he had a lot of reasons for thinking that, like uh, material objects, for example, seem to have like dimensions, like 
they have like extensions in space and stuff like that. But like, if you think about your thoughts, your thoughts and your ideas don't really have extensions in space because they're in your head. Yeah. If you imagine Mount Everest, doesn't mean there's a mountain the size of Mount Everest in your head. Could you imagine if that's why God had to make the universe like this ever expansive space because he fucked up and he made it so that if anyone imagines something, it has to be occupying space <laughs> in real life somewhere. So he's like, fuck, God damn it. we're out of space so fast. <laughs> anyone who thinks of anything, it pops into reality somewhere and he's just like trying to make enough room for everyone's thoughts to be able to be thought. God's garage is just... <laughs> that would be a huge oversight design-wise. Design flaw, yeah. And so the big criticism of Cartesian dualism is that uh, how does one substance have any causal effect on the other substance, which is of a totally different kind? Like material objects cause each other, cause effects on each other by bumping into them. Yeah. By having their, their spatial properties, their mass properties, like they bump into each other, they cause it. Mm-hmm. But how could one substance that is, uh, has all these dimensions interact with a substance that has no dimensions. Like, how do they actually do anything to each other? Right. So you're talking about, like, thoughts and physical matter interacting. Yeah, how do, yeah, exactly. If they're two totally different substances in kind, like, one is a physical matter and the other is some sort of non-physical, supernatural thing, how do they actually interact with each other? So Berkeley's position is basically, well, I know that I have a mind, but I don't really know if there's any material objects. So it seems to make more sense to just say, well, everything is mind. And then I don't have to worry about this whole causal problem. Yeah, I mean, everything that happens and everything you perceive, every little detail of experiencing reality is all because you have a brain. It's all happening in your, in your mind. So in one sense, you don't need anything but a mind to experience things, right? Yeah. So there's no need for an external object or any sort of external stimuli to, in, in order to have experience of reality, right? Because at the end of the day, it's all happening up there. So you don't necessarily need anything other than the mind. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, so that's basically Berkeley in a kind of a nutshell. Basically, the, so the question is, like, where do all the ideas come from? Uh, the answer is God is like this master spirit who is sort of feeding ideas out into us, into our minds. And he does it with like regularity according to the laws of nature. So blah, blah, blah. Anyway. To what end is my question? To what fucking end? Why is he doing this? Uh, that would be uh, one of those, uh, the Lord works in mysterious ways type of things. Oh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so non-answer. Non-answer. Anyway. Um, one of the biggest objections to Berkeley is the unperceived objects objection, which is that, like, okay, if for something to exist, it has to be perceived, then, for example, if nobody is, if no one's at the mall at midnight on a Wednesday, then the mall doesn't exist. Yeah. But that just seems so crazy, right? That's what I was ta- trying to say about the, like, section of the forest that no one will ever stumble pro- across. If you came upon it, you would still see that... I guess it it depends on like what your definition of someone perceiving something like can a plant perceive something? Yeah. If the, like are the trees only able to keep on existing because they're keeping tabs on each other, even though there's another one with consciousness around to like, (laughs) 
<laughs> make it real. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's really weird. Because you can, you can tell that, like, say I find a rock in the woods. I got to keep going back. Or the desert. You know, I'm switching it up. We're going to the desert. <laughs> say I find a rock in the desert and there's, it's sunken into the sand. I can kind of extrapolate that it's been there for a time for the sand to blow around it or for it to sink into the sand. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't have to, as in like actions were happening, physical actions were happening yeah. upon this rock without anyone having to be there. So if it didn't exist, it would never have sunken into the sand. And when I found it, it would have just been sitting on top of the sand, right? Well, you see, God intended it to be sunken into the sand when he made up the universe. So he decided that when I see the rock, it's going to be a half inch into the sand. God decided that. He's got a lot of fucking time on his hand. When, when, anyone, when anyone sees the rock, when anyone sees the rock, it'll look like that. Any, okay. See, I actually think this objection isn't that bad. If you think about it like, um, like World of Warcraft, for example, right? Right. Millions of people. Why do you always got to bring that into it, Sam? You always got to bring World of Warcraft. Fuck. <laughs> Never mind. So, right. So like World of Warcraft, any sort of MMORPG, right? You've got thousands of people. They're all in this sort of persistent world, this virtual persistent world together. Yes. And like you're playing the video game. But you, for your, for your purposes in the video game, things only exist when they're on, on your screen. Mm-hmm. Like the whole world isn't, isn't being uh, rendered on your computer. Yeah. It's only the little section that... Yeah, it isn't all rendered at once. Yeah, because yeah, that would obviously be too much yeah. work for your computer to handle. Yeah, so everyone's computer is out there rendering the part of the world of Warcraft that their character is perceiving at that moment. Mm-hmm. The stuff that is not being perceived by a character isn't being rendered, and so it doesn't actually exist anywhere. But there is something existing about them, because even if someone's not in whatever fucking town or whatever, barren world, barren town or some shit, elfier villa, there's <laughs> a like some sort of mage convent clubhouse. The Scarlet Monastery. Thing. Sure. Uh, they still write the code for that town to be functioning even if no one's in there, right? Right. So the happenings in that town are still going to be happening even if players aren't in there, even if it's not visually represented. Well, they would happen if players were there, but they don't happen unless players are there. Okay. So isn't there some sort of like market? Like, I get it that for computing reasons, they're not going to render anything. Let's face it. In World of Warcraft, there's probably someone... There's probably a player in every town at, at any given moment, right? Yeah. So pieces of the world are being rendered at every moment on someone's computer. Yeah, but there will be zones where there's nobody in that zone. Certain times of the day, there's not going to be anybody there. Right. So that's just that zone doesn't exist. So all the monsters in that zone, they don't exist. Right. But we have to be careful with what we mean by exist. Because the code for those areas are still there. Yeah, and you can think of the code as sort of like God's decrees, right? We're getting very matrixy again over here. Yeah, the, the programmer. Dude, wasn't that Duncan Trussell was saying, like, read the Bible, but every time you see the word God, replace it with the programmer? <laughs> <laughs> that is good. Yeah. That is good. I don't know if you listen to the Bible beaters, but Caleb insists that anytime 
God is mentioned in the Old Testament, you call it Jesus <laughs> so that you don't separate the two in your mind when the New Testament comes. Uh, that's hilarious. That's hilarious. <laughs> Remember all that shit Jesus did in the Old Testament? <laughs> Here he is again. Uh, that's hilarious. Yeah. Yeah, so, so Berkeley's um, response to this idea, like, things exist, he says that, uh, well, here's his quote, anyone that shall attend to what is meant by the term exist when applied to material things. The table that I write on, I say, exists. That is, I see and feel it. And if I were out of my study, I should say it existed. Meaning that if I was in my study, I might perceive it. Or that some other person actually does perceive it. So he just says that something exists means either I'm seeing it or I would see it if I went in there. Yeah. And, and I get the thing where it's like, he, once you leave the study you can't really know for sure it's still there, right? You're assuming it is, but you don't know for sure. If I, when I leave this room after this podcast, I won't know if all this stuff will still be in here once I leave, but I'm, I'm going to act as if it is because that's how sane people move through the world. Yeah. Well, I think, yeah, I don't know. I, th- I kind of think Berkeley would be like, no, you do know. Like, are you saying you don't know it exists in the sense that someone might come in and move it? I don't know it exists as in it's not in my field of view anymore. So at this point, I'm just assuming that it hasn't, you know, vaporized the second I walked out of the room. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I I think Berkeley is like, yeah, he's like, look, when you say something exists, what you mean is that either that you are perceiving it or that you would perceive it if you were uh, around it. Yeah, I could agree to that. Yeah, so he's basically, I I think of Berkeley as his conception of the world is like, the world is like a giant World of Warcraft game. And God is like this perpetual programmer, like constantly keeping the code live so that if you do, you know, like move around or whatever, you, you render God's ideas, basically. <laughs> so maybe God's just some like indie developer that's like, yeah, I made this game. I didn't think a lot of people would like it, but you guys seem to like it so much. So I'm just going to, I'm just going to quit my job and I'm going to keep on, uh, keep on programming for you guys. Cause you guys seem to have a lot of fun. Yeah, exactly. But he has no plan outside of that. No plan. Just making it up. <laughs> the patch notes are terrible. <laughs> this expansion sucks. This COVID expansion. COVID Bullshit, expansion. God. <laughs> yeah, what the fuck is with this plague expansion? I don't want to play this. <laughs> yeah. I have to wear a mask now? Come on. All right. We have one email. Oh, my God. Thank fucking Christ, eh? It's Woo. been forever. By the way, anyone at any time can email us at tpspodcast420 at gmail.com. Uh, we appreciate them every time. Um, you're guaranteed to have it read because we only get one every few months. So <laughs> here we go. This is from a day one listener. Uh, I'm not going to say his real name, but you might know him as Lagrande. Um, this says, hello, TPS. Day one listener and fan. We love you, buddy. The last episode said to write in with questions, concerns, insults. <laughs> You can put this in the concerns category. Oh, no. oh God. <laughs> this is very, very much in line with this man's character. The 41st episode of the podcast has 51 minutes and 47 sec- 40 seconds, 46 seconds of content, followed by seven minutes and two seconds of silence. And I'll say right now, the title of this email is 702. <laughs> See attached screenshot. (laughs) So he sent me a picture of when the silence starts. 
The people have come to expect, know, rely on a full hour of entertainment, and lots of people were concerned about how short this past episode was. Keep up the good work, pumping out hour-long episodes. Regards, LaGrande. So, I guess this is really an email directed at our producer, Mr. Matthew Push. <laughs> that was a phase photon cannon. Um, our producer is uh, pretty much a magician, uh, the way he turns our almost unlistened to a bull. Uh, conversations into coherent podcast episodes. But I guess you can consider this a direct message, Matt, that uh, people don't expect seven minutes, and two seconds of silence at the end of the episode. And it has very deeply concerned at least one of our listeners. So I don't know if there was a reason for that or if it was, I don't know how many edibles you eat a night, but I'm sure that at some point you overdo it a little bit and you forget that you're editing a podcast, but that's fine. Um, just know that it does affect our listenership and uh, maybe we need to keep it a little tighter out there as far as the silences go. What do you think, Sam? Um, I, I had no idea that there was silence at the end of the episode. I don't. I didn't notice it either. I just turned it off once uh, we say goodbye, like a sane person would. What did he think we had? Fucking a hidden scene at the end, like this is a Marvel movie. I don't understand. <laughs> I think that's sort of. I think that's like a. Um, it's like an all-purpose sort of all-purpose moment of silence for whatever tragedy has happened in your life. Right. If you need a moment of silence, yeah, we always have one. Yeah, it was seven minutes and 20 seconds of silence for just like the last two years of existence on this planet has just been fuck you after fuck you. Yeah, yeah. So we figured seven minutes would be good. That'd be good. 702. Those last two seconds, you really got to listen. You really got to pay your respects in those last two (laughs) seconds. But they're there for a reason. All right. Well, that's the episode for the week. That was a good one. I, I felt good. I was watching... Eleanor, play around. Excuse any noises you hear of her. Matt, producer Matt, you don't have to edit out every single thing she's done because she was doing all sorts of crazy shit, but it was good for me. Watch. Mm. Anything else you need to add, Sam? Um, uh, let me think here. Um, uh, congratulations to Italy on winning the Euro 2020. Uh, congratulations to Conor McGregor on breaking his leg. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Oh yeah. Oops. Yeah. There was no check. Doctor Stoppage. <laughs> Doctor Stoppage. Dude, your ankle's so fucked. I didn't even watch the fight. I just watched the end and I was like, I don't know, man. This guy's he definitely is turning into the villain, which I don't have a problem with, but he needs to put up some fucking big knockouts. Uh, he's all he's always been like that. This guy's always been like that. I know. Chelsea fucking hates him. Yeah, he's no different from how he always was. Yeah. Not as not quite as funny as he used to be. He used to be so funny. Oh my god. Yeah, well, he's funny when he wins and he's a little little whiny pants threaten your family type of guy <laughs> when he loses. He does not take losses well. I'll say that much. No, not since the first Nate Diaz fight. I love how like people have been saying like, "Oh, wow, he's been he, as soon as he went down, he started promoting the next fight." That is so <laughs> Brilliant. I was like, no, this guy, he's just taking this loss like a little bitch and he's having a spaz in the ring. So, yeah, he's embarrassed in front of thousands of people and he's mad about it. Yeah. All right. But we don't need to talk about this. We'll see you all next week.
Goodbye.